Hi, I'm Chris, and welcome to this week's episode of To Be Published, a podcast that provides organizational leaders with the tools to integrate and synchronize sustainment and to generate combat power. The views and opinions expressed here are our own and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Defense, the Combined Arms Center, or Army University. Absolutely. We're getting used to it. Yeah. And so, so good morning. How are you doing, sir? Good. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about operational contracting support. Uh, we never have enough troops uh, or enough uh, sustainment capability in theater uh, when we deploy. And so in order to mitigate some of those shortfalls, uh, we're relying upon contractors on the battlefield. Uh, and we call that operational contract support. Contracting that supports operations. With us today on To Be Published, uh, we have Captain Jeff Horning, uh, who's one of the heavy lifters behind this podcast. He's also a training developer here in the department. And previously, Jeff served uh, as the Operational Contract Support Integration Chief, or OXIC, at CJ Flick Operation Inherent Resolve in Iraq. He also has served as the OCS Chief uh, for the 1st Sustainment Brigade at Resolute Support, in Afghanistan. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Very excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. Uh, looking forward to the conversation today. But first, uh, as one of the creators of this podcast, I'd like to tell you, ask you uh, if you could tell us a little bit about it and how it kind of came about and, and what your thoughts are on what this should be. So that's a, it's a good question, sir. Um, when we when we started talking about how we wanted to set up a podcast, it, the, the genesis was really how do we uh, support the the audience. Uh, when we look at our audience, we're really talking about not only the, the students here that are, are at uh, ILE going through the Command and General Staff Officers course, but also the those folks who are, are going to be coming here and even those who have graduated uh, and trying to find a way to continue to support them outside of the classroom because I mean we have plenty of instructors here that are doing great things in the classroom to support these these students um, but we want to give them more resources we understand that people learn in different ways and so our, uh, our director came to us and said hey think about ways to fix stuff to make stuff better um, and I know there was there was a bunch of ideas tossed around and this this podcast is really the, the first one that we were able to, to get up and running and uh, so I think this is episode two now that we're working on. Um, and so it's, it's good to see it moving forward. And, and hopefully we, uh, we have some students out there who are listening and are interested and uh, are, are passing the word to their, to their peers that there, there's more options beyond the classroom. Yeah, hit that like and subscribe button uh, <laughs> or whatever it is. I don't even know if there's a button on there. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of operationalizing uh, self-development, I think, is one of the buzzwords that, that I like to use, uh, and just providing different ways to do that. Uh, so without further ado, let's kind of get into it. Again, we're talking about operational contract support, a way that we can augment uh, DOD forces on the battlefield. Can you tell me a little bit, Jeff, about what OCS is? Absolutely. I think there's there's two answers to that. Uh, there's what the book says, and there's how I would like to describe it after doing it a couple times. So the book will tell you 
Um, it's a sustainment function. There's uh, there's three buckets is, is how they like to say it. You got your contracting support, you have your, your contract support integration, and then you have your contract management. So your contracting support, that's your uh, your 51 Charlies, your emission installation contracting commands. That's the contracting folks. I emphasis on the ING there. Uh, and I'll get into that a little bit later too, I'm sure. Um, People who are actually contracting officers and warranted to commit the government to obligate the government to things. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, that's your that's your contracting support. They're the execution arm. Um, then you have your your contract management. That's your everybody knows the the cores. Your contracting officer representatives. It's the job that you never want, but it's very very important because um, they're the ones that are overseeing the contract. They're the ones that are making sure that the contractor is doing what they are being paid to do. Uh, also included with that is uh, is your command oversight as well. Um, there's a, a bunch of new regs out there, and particularly when you go to CENTCOM, they have a lot of, of uh, requirements for the commander to be involved uh, at Echelon in making sure that the contract is, is performing properly. And then uh, that's that's really your, your enforcement arm. And then lastly, you have your contract support integration. This is my favorite part. That's pretty much how you integrate contract support into your team, into your operation. Um, it's how you integrate it into your plans. That's where you have your... Uh, your skill identifier, three Charlie, who went to the the OCS course either here uh, or either at ALU at Fort Lee, or they had an MTT, or uh, or they got it here at the Command and General Staff School. Um, that's when they get involved with the plans. They work with the operators and understand what is needed, and they build that into the plan. That's your your contract support integration. So that's what the book will tell you. So in in uh, one of our previous episodes, and as we look at sustainment in general, we talk about how we plan our requirements and we use the acronym Dr. Ackham's ER. Determine requirements, assess capabilities, mitigate shortfalls, and then estimate risk. Uh, I think this really kind of comes into play there because as we're doing the planning, uh, we realize we have shortfalls and OCS could provide a way to uh, mitigate some of those shortfalls. Is that Correct. You're absolutely right. Um, that is the purpose of OCS is to uh, to mitigate the shortfalls you have in your in your force structure and the folks that you can take downrange with you, and to to make the mission happen when you don't necessarily have all the capability you need. So continuing my, on what I think OCS is, um, again, the book tells you it's a sustainment function. That is a frustration for me because that means that the sustainer always gets the job to be the OCS guy. The sustainer is always responsible for it when really it's an operational capability. That's what OCS is. It's operational contract support. Um, it provides commanders with flexibility. In my opinion, your OXIC should not be in the G4. That's generally where it is in your G4, your J4. I think it should belong in your, J3, in your G35, your J35, or just be an independent staff office. When we start talking about joint doctrine, they actually look at it as such as an independent agency that reports to the commander. And you're talking at the division level? Uh, division, core, um, and, and joint staff. Okay. Absolutely. Good. Um, and the, the reason why is because your OXIC chief must be tied into plans. Um, if they are not embedded with your with your planning teams, with your your G5, your your G35, they don't understand what's coming up. They can't help you. Uh, contracting is not a quick solution. It can be. It absolutely can be, and I will argue to my death with anybody who says that it can't be. 
Um, but it's that, that kind of triangle of good, fast, and cheap. Yes, if absolutely. If you want it fast, you're definitely going to pay for it, and it may not be the best quality. Exactly. That is exactly right. Uh, and so you need to understand that, and you need to be involved early. And that's why I think it's an operational capability. It is an, it is an operation that you must include uh, when you're going out there and, and you're going out on, on a deployment, on a mission, uh, or anything where you think you might need contractors. You need to get your OXIC folks involved early uh, and include them in the, in the plans. Awesome. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you there 100%. Uh, it is an operational requirement, and it's not just the sustainment warfighting function, although uh, sustainment does have a lot to do with it, and we make up a lot of sustainment force structure using operational contract support, especially kind of early entry planning and things like that. Uh, what are some of the other warfighting functions that, that need to get involved? Uh, and what are some sort of options uh, for those? So uh, some ideas that, that we could use operational contracting support to fill. So it, ev everyone. Uh, that's the, the easy answer is everyone needs to be involved. Uh, I'll, I'll take you back to when I was working at CJ Flick. Um, before we deployed, it was it was one ID, 1st Infantry Division. I was working in the G4. I was... Uh, just a, a log planner, and uh, I got tagged to go to this class. So I went to the class, and I came back, and I told the, the CG, sir, we need to send everybody. Clearly that wasn't available, so we brought in an MTT. And we trained uh, two personnel in our G1, our G2, the G3, um, six people in our G4, I think it was, two in our G5, G6 got some training, the eight got some training, engineers, protection cell, everybody. Everybody went to the class, and the reason why is I could list a contract that every single one of them touched when they went downrange. Did they write the requirements? No. That's not what they're going to do. The requiring activity, which is generally the unit that's furthest down that needs the support, is going to write the requirement. I'm a logistician. I don't know how a postal contract is supposed to look necessarily. My POC in the G1 absolutely did, and by training them in 3Charlie and in OCS, they were able to provide both perspectives. They were able to provide the, the one perspective and the, the OCS perspective to help me make sure that our requiring activity got what they needed. Because when working at the, the division and above level, we are customer support. Yes, we are directing operations, but we're not actually the executioners. We have the battalions, the brigades, they're the ones out there doing the war fighting. And so we need to be supporting them to the best of our ability. And the best way to do that with OCS is training across the staff. Don't leave it just to your sustainer to tell your engineer how to build uh, a fighting position. Um, don't leave it to your sustainer to tell your, uh, your G6 what communication support they need. That's not our job. What we need to know is, is how to integrate all of that together into one staff entity. That's what your OXIC provides. That's the integration cell across the entire staff to make sure that the operation is getting the support it needs. And I think that's probably the key is the integration cell. We talked in the last episode a lot about how we integrate not only sustainment, but the other warfighting functions. Uh, you know, some, some other examples that come off the top of my head, protection, you can have uh, from the engineer perspective that you mentioned, but also force protection. And we've hired a lot of times in the past, you know, armed guards uh, that are on that front line uh, if we're at a static facility like an airfield, et cetera. Uh, and so, yeah, 100% agree. Um, we tend to think, at least I have thought in the past, kind of switching gears here a little bit, uh, when we do contracting about contracting in a coin environment. 
Uh, it's where we've been for the last 20 years. We're comfortable with it. We're familiar with it. What is what does contracting look like in large scale combat operations? Uh, how do you think that works, and what are some of the requirements going to be? So, again, this comes back to what the book answer is versus what I've I've seen and executed. Um, so, in the book, you generally think about contracting and let's go in phase four and phase five. You know? Which is so that's that's stability and reconstruction. Reconstruction. Yeah. Um, so typically, once the fighting's over, the contractors come in, they build up the bases, they build up our infrastructure, and they and then you start seeing uh, the contractors taking over for the majority of the base life support services. If that's the first time you're thinking about contracting, you're making a mistake. First of all, you need to plan for that early, so let's, let's think about that piece. If you want to plan for contracting in Phase 4 and Phase 5, you need to plan start that planning really in like Phase 2, definitely in Phase 3 if you're not thinking about it already. But... I would argue that you can incorporate contract support into phase two, into phase three, into your actual operations. And we actually did that when I was in Iraq. Um, so I was, I was in Iraq, I got there uh, two days before the battle for Mosul started and I left the day after it ended. Uh, nine months, that was my deployment uh, schedule. Just how sort of worked out that way. Um, and in January, Task Force Falcon came in, that's uh, 2nd Brigade 82nd, and their, their brigade commander wanted to, to advise, assist, accompany, and enable. A3E is what we called it. And the accompany piece was different. Typically, we had our, our FOBs that we would, we would go out from and then we'd come back to. That's not what he wanted to do anymore. He wanted to move forward as the Iraqi military progressed. So this is decisive action that they were talking about where they are attacking into Mosul and uh, American forces were going to accompany them. We had the MATVs for them uh, that they could use, but we did not have the sustainment resources, the sustainment assets to, to resupply them, particularly for fuel. So their SPO identified to us this, this capability gap. Again, OCS is designed to fill gaps, right? But we also recognized that we were on a time crunch. So what we did, and uh, this is, I'm very proud of my team for, for being able to accomplish this when we did it. But we, we recognized that we had a line haul contract that existed. And in this contract was written that the, these trucks could move fuel. It was understood but not specified that these fuels would be on like fuel bags sitting on the back of a flatbed. But we talked to the contracting officer, we talked to our legal, and we talked to our J8. It's very important you, get, you have those relationships built. And we talked to him and said, hey, can we use an actual fuel truck that can provide retail capability? KO went back, the contracting officer went back to the contractor and said, hey, do you have this available? And they said, absolutely, we do. Um, and we said, can you under, do you read this contract to mean that it's delivery of fuel and if we tell you we want you to use a specific vehicle, you will? And they said, absolutely. And the legal blessed off on it, the J8 blessed off on it. And so 72 hours after the SPO came to us and said, we have this capability gap, we've mitigated it. And the first truck was delivering retail fuel to American vehicles in the middle of nowhere in Iraq, supporting the fight in the Mosul. So that's contracting in support of decisive operations. They basically contracted for a distro platoon because we didn't have one, and so we made it happen using contractors. And I will tell you, it was very expensive, but it got the job done. And that is something that uh, a lot of folks were concerned about at first, and I, I had to reassure them that as long as you put enough money towards the problem, a contract can generally get it done. So again, it comes back to the, the cheap, fast thing. This was, this was fast, but it was definitely not cheap.
but it got the job done and we supported the fight for the last seven months of the siege. Yeah, that's a, a great example. And I think as we move uh, the conversation deeper into large-scale combat operations, multi-domain operations, and look into the uh, transitioning from potentially crisis into conflict, uh, contractors are still going to play an important part on the battlefield. They may not be on the front lines as they were in your discussion. Of course, they may be. It just won't be cheap. Um, but we're going to have to have in the theater support area, in the rear area, contractors to help offset some of the force structure that we either don't have or haven't been able to mobilize yet. Uh, and so all that kind of comes into that theater planning and planning done at the, the CJ Flick and at the division level. Uh, so thanks for that example. Um, but we talked about kind of the limited personnel, and you brought it up earlier. Uh, so that's at the division, right? There's really only one or two people that do OCS. Of course, can't see me doing air quotes um, in their title, the SPO OCS chief. And so how do brigades and divisions organize? I, I know how you did it. Uh, we talked about that in the beginning, but... How, who helps brigades and divisions organize OCS? So that's that's a tough question because there's there's no set solution out there. It really depends on how the commander wants to organize their forces at the division level. Uh, you mentioned the SPO OCS chief. That is your um, that's your expert in the sustainment brigade in the division sustainment brigade, and they will support uh, the division. However, typically when, when the division deploys, it's going to organize some folks from within. It's going to, uh, source from within and develop its own little OCS cell within the G4. Again, I don't think that's the right place for it. That's neither here nor there. The point is it's not organic. It's not something that we have. Now in Garrison, we do have, uh, a mission installation contracting command. That's your MIC out there. They're the ones that can help you with any questions you have. Uh, they're basically the, the contracting battalion, and typically when you deploy, that contracting battalion will deploy with you. Um, if not, you'll be supported by another contracting battalion. Either way, if you are ever tagged to deal with OCS, or if you're tagged to be in operations and you're, and you're working through some plans, you want to get to know your MIC, because they're the ones that at home station can help you out. Um, when you're deployed, track down your, your contracting battalion, get to know them, get to know the KO, get to know their SPO, their support operations officer, because they do have one of those, and they can help you understand the capabilities that are uh, that are around. Because contracts don't just spring up overnight. A lot of these have are in existence, and we try to avoid redundancy. We try to consolidate as much as possible. So you could have a blank purchase agreement out there or an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, an IDIQ out there that you can leverage um, very quickly. Again, we're trying to execute quickly in support of operations. And those those vehicles exist um, to support that. But if you're not reaching out and talking to those enablers, the, the MIC or the contracting battalion, um, then you might miss out on some, some quick wins that you can have. And then I, I'll, I will say that it's about relationships. If you are ever tagged to do OCS, uh, you need to understand who your, your J8 is or, or your G8. Um, or your S8 at the, at the brigade level, and, and your lawyers. Uh, if you're ever dealing with contract, a lawyer should be your best friend. They were my best friend during both of my deployments. You need to know your lawyers. CYA. Consult exactly. your attorney. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, something to, to remember as well is, and this kind of gets away from the organization, but it gets into why you need to know these people soon, is because we've discussed 
this takes a long time. Um, the term for it is procurement acquisition lead time, PALT, P-A-L-T. It's basically how fast you can get stuff done. Uh, in contingency contracting, that's generally 90 to 120 days. Seems pretty fast when you think about how long it took us to get the Bradley finished. Um, but when you are maneuvering on the battlefield, how much is going to change between 90 and 120 days? That's why you need to get involved early uh, and often and identify what's available for you to leverage and start planning some of those capabilities that you'll need um, 90 days out so that you can get the stuff put in place. Yeah, great. Um, does take time, but again, it's worth it in the end. So I want to talk a little bit. We've talked quite a bit. We said there were three buckets, uh, contract support, contracting support, I'm sorry, which is the actual contracting officer part. Contract support integration, which is what primarily we've been talking about for about the last 20 minutes, and contractor uh, management. So contractor management is where the contracting officer's representative uh, provides that oversight and enforcement for OCS. The contracting officer representative, the core, as we call them. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about what's the role of the core? What are they supposed to do? And uh, then maybe some, some tips for executing that. Absolutely. Um, the first thing I will say, and this is going to upset some commanders out there, is the cores do not report to you. They report to the contracting officer. Um, I've seen commanders get in trouble by ordering a core to do something for a contract, and the core was like, nope, I'm not doing that. Sorry, full bird colonel, I specialist so-and-so am not going to do that because I am not authorized to do that. So just know... The cores are there to support you. The cores' responsibility is to oversee the contract. They uh, talk to the contractor day to day. They have what's called a quality assurance surveillance plan, a QASP. Um, and they take this QASP and they go through and they do checks. And they're supposed to do monthly checks, weekly checks, daily checks, checklists for everything. And these are written into the contract. And commander, your responsibility is to make sure that you build the proper QASP when you're identifying your requirement. That's what your staff will do for you. And that's done up front. The requirements yes. generation done by the requiring activity or the unit that needs it, not the contracting officer. Correct. Correct. The requiring activity builds the requirements package. The contracting officer just writes the contract and awards the contract. So if you want your core to do stuff, you have to identify that before you uh, have the KO write the contract for you. So once the contract is written and it is awarded, it's given out the... The commander will nominate a core, and then the KO will appoint the core. And the core will then go around and follow this QASP and make sure that the contractor is following everything that they're supposed to do that we tell them they need to do, uh, basically measures of effectiveness, measures of performance, just for the contract. And that's what the, the core really provides for you, is that link between the contractor and the KO, as well as the reporting to the commander. Because the core can absolutely tell you there's a problem with the contract. They can't fix it, you can't fix it, only the KO can fix it. So if they identify that there's an issue, or if you identify that this contractor is not doing what you need to do, go to the core, let the core know. And they'll, they will inspect, they can inspect an area, they can then report back to the KO, and you can do modifications if you need, or if you have poor performance, you can, you can terminate the contract. Yeah, so three buckets, contracting support, the responsibility of the contracting officer, Contracting management comes at the end uh, where the contracting officer representative is overseeing the contract and reporting back 
to the contracting officer uh, about the status and progress and anything wrong uh, or right uh, with the contract. Uh, and then contract support integration, which happens at the beginning, and that's the planning process of how we integrate all these. I, you say at the beginning, contract support integration is continuous. It happens throughout. That is before the contract, during the contract, after the contract. It is a continuous process uh, that you have to stay on top of. Awesome. So if you could tell the next generation of Battalion XOs and Battalion S3s one thing, what would it be? So first and foremost, stop calling your OCS person a contracting officer. We are not warranted. We cannot write contracts. Seriously, though, um, you got to remember that second bucket, contract support integration. Um, as I said, it's continuous. It really is. When you're developing your plans, if you identify a gap uh, in your capabilities, you have to consider, at the very least, the feasibility of a contracted solution. It may not be ideal for you, but there's options out there. Uh, and don't think that, oh, there's no way we could contract for that. We have contracted for some crazy stuff. Um, if, you, if you have a gap, run it by your OCS person. Run it by your 3Charlie and, uh, and see if there's anything available. Go talk to your MIC. Go talk to your contracting battalion. See if there's anything available. I mean, if, if we have it out in the world, the chances are we can contract for it. Might not meet your timeline, but it's an option and it's always available. And so as we talked in the beginning, this helps us uh, to mitigate force structure. Um, but this isn't just at the division level. We've been focused kind of at the division, the brigade level. Uh, but we really are looking also at the theater level. And so a substantial portion uh, of OCS planning is done at the ESC uh, and the, the TSC, the Theater Sustainment Command, uh, and at the Army Service Component Command level out in the geographic combatant commanders. Uh, and so I would encourage you, uh, if you're deploying to a theater, if you're working on one of these theater staffs, to reach out uh, to your operational support contract integrator, the OXIC, or contract integration cell. Uh, and as you're building a plan, uh, see where contracting fits into it or where it can help to mitigate force structure. Because as we know, America fights away games uh, we prefer to fight uh, overseas instead of on our homeland. And so the less force structure that we have to deploy, the more rapid we can get to a solution uh, and stop, hopefully stop conflict before, uh, in the crisis phase before it becomes a conflict. Uh, and so, Jeff, I'm going to ask you a few questions. We ask all of our guests, uh, get to know you a little bit better, but what's the best book that you've read recently? So for me... Uh and it might not come as a surprise when you hear the title, but it's uh, Stephen Johnson's Where Good Ideas Come From, The Natural History of Innovation. Uh, I had to read this as part of an economics class I'm going through for my master's degree. Um, and it, it discusses a bunch of concepts that I'd never heard of before, such as like the adjacent possible or creative destruction. And uh, just a quick rundown on, on what that means. So adjacent possible is basically... Imagine you're in a room and you have two doors in front of you. You don't know what's through those doors. You could walk into one of those doors and it's just an empty room, no other doors. Or you could walk in there and there's five doors available for you to go through and you can continue moving through. That is the adjacent possible. You know what's possible with what is physically in front of you. The adjacent possible is what's possible when you take that next step. 
Um, and so it's about always trying to, to move forward, always trying to, to find creative ways to do things. And yeah, you could walk into that empty room and have nowhere to go. Well, you just go back a little bit and you try the next door and you just keep moving forward, keep trying to, to find the next thing that works for you and works for your organization. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that one up. Um, favorite movie? So for me, it's Shawshank Redemption. Uh, this is my, my dad's favorite movie. It's my favorite movie. It's a movie that whenever it comes on, we will just sit down and watch it over and over. It doesn't matter what part it's on. If it comes on TV and I see it, I will stop everything I'm doing. I will watch that movie. I don't really know why. It's just something about it. Uh, it's absolute favorite movie I've ever seen. And then besides this one, uh, what podcast are you listening to? So I've been listening. Uh, I, I did not listen to podcasts much before we started talking about this. I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, so I'm, I'm new to it. Uh, I'm a bit of a... Uh, of a technological Luddite, which is kind of funny, considering I was in charge of IT for this department for a while. Um, but I've been listening to Breaking Doctrine. Uh, that's that's one of the interesting ones for me. Um, they, they're here on Leavenworth. They helped us understand what we were doing. And uh, they're putting out a lot of really, really good information that uh, will help, I think, the crowd that's listening to, to this podcast. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I have listened to Breaking Doctrine. We've worked with them a little bit on, on how to set up a podcast. So by the combined arms doctor and directorate uh, a great show well thank you very much jeff for coming on today's uh, to be published episode on operational contracting support uh, for our audience i'd like to leave you uh, with some tools as we always try to do uh, on joint knowledge online or jko uh, there are two ocs courses that you can take each of them take about an hour to complete so if you're looking for a little bit more in-depth knowledge on operational contract support, but not quite the full five Charlie program that Jeff had mentioned, uh, go ahead, log in and take those courses. Uh, they're the OCS course phase one and phase two. Uh, check them out, uh, get some more knowledge, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.